death of the poet. Rapture and scatter. Deposits and stores in this diasporan garden that grows futures in its wires and fruits and songs for birds. This cup glows in red and hues of blood and its fragrance stutters amidst the scent of this skin, its steam and its stillness. At the center of it all, to alchemize the leaves and vines that trail adjacent to the table, a bird sees its reflection in the mirror behind this chair and recites. Oh my body, these bodies, these bodies that live, that live in death, in the death of their image, in their images of death that live beyond their massacre, that breed in the minds that rage, that rage that finds questions for stones, that museums have been born only so they can die in the death of their image. Yeah, really, I really wanted to sort of start from this starting point of rocks. I suppose rocks makes it sound more geological, but mm. I'm sort of, it extends to a lot of the kind of um, fragments of artifacts and statues that mm. appear in, in your work. And one of the things that kind of really interested me in that video you did for the VNA was the the rock flying across the landscape mm. like there was something really compelling about that that I think mm. connects to a lot of the deeper interests in your practice so maybe we could start talking about that rock okay yeah that rock specifically I guess like in different ways I'm interested in like how the rock can be a stand-in for the body or like land outside of like language around borders or like nation nationhood um, or capital in the way that bodies are, are capital. So like that specific scene, I guess in my head I'm thinking about the rock as weapon also, like what the rock can signify beyond, yeah, geographical, like geological logics, right? Um, but yeah, very much like the body in that, in that scene, I think. Um, but like in a wider way, I think I'd, I'd locate my use of rocks in like this long tradition of um, a kind of like poetic discipline within Arabic poetry where a prelude to to these really long kind of um, elegy or like eulogies eulogy. um, would begin with this like facing like standing at the ruins and almost like communicating with rocks as a way to kind of make visible the invisible but very much like that, that kind of poetry is very much rooted in nostalgia or this kind of like lamenting of what's gone, right, in terms of the ruin and what the ruin was. But I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, I feel like it's important to locate my use of rocks with that because sometimes it can get lost in the kind of mediocre thing of people just using kind of natural object, um, which it definitely speaks to in some way. Um, but yeah, there's like a long tradition of using rocks or, or stones in that way. But that scene specifically, yeah, I kind of saw it as this this bodily thing, but I'm not always interested in using the body in like a complete whole way. I just find it so tied to so much that it makes sense for me. And like rocks can belong to something, like have origin without it being fixed, right? In the way that you were, we were kind of, when we had that email exchange, you were talking about crossing Borders, like what, what a rock actually signifies, goes way beyond those constructs. Um, it just makes more sense to me than using um, certain bodies in film works, or bodies at all, to be honest. I've mm. always used them in a fragmented way, but now less likely to use them at all, and happy to use rocks as a standard, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess bodies have a different, you know, they have a real kind of weighting to them, mm. and you bring in a lot of other things that are maybe not what you're trying to draw attention to mm. and I guess rocks have this or stone or whatever have have a kind of similar quality where they in of themselves they're kind of silent but they mm. pick up all of these kind of marks and mm. um, traces from a kind of 
yeah, I guess to travel across mm. a space. Mm-hmm. And space too, I guess, like even in a cosmic sense, mm. I think the rock is interesting because of it. it I mean, transcending borders in that way, it can be a kind of crass thing to say, but, but even to the extent of, of like cosmic space. And, and I think because of that, the stone or the rock as a signifier kind of embodies that disruption that I'm like more and more trying to um, bring into practice as like a, a wider strategy for how to disrupt. Um, because of that, it kind of spans all, all of these like spatio-temporal logics, right, where it's no longer just bound to this planet even, and the rock becomes potentially, I mean, in the same way that I want, I'd like to articulate the body outside of um, race potentially or identity, but doing so in a literal way is problematic and like holds a lot of issues in like this context in 2018, doing so explicitly, trying to like articulate the body outside of identity is not important. Actually, it's important for us to hold on to identity at this point. But yeah, rocks, rocks are an interesting way of doing it. And actually that scene, I think, there's this like very heavy connotation of rocks as a kind of, I mean like in the Palestinian context for instance, the rock as a, as a kind of tool of defence or like a weapon of defence against this kind of settler colonialist um, ideology, occupation or culture basically, a kind of global one. Um, and that, that too is interesting that, I mean it's like sometimes think about that, the idea of throwing a rock from the land at the, at the occupier was also in my head with the flying, the flying rock, right? But then that, that liberation from the land and the kind of absurdity of a rock flying is the same almost as when I photograph a rock and give it, like celebrate it as this huge thing when it's just this mundane kind of object right? yeah. from the land. Um, because there's also that tradition of museums in the UK, like in the West, having rocks in their collections, like in their museum collection. It's another interesting thing, um, like like the Honeyman Museum. Well, yeah, this is kind of what got me started, was seeing yeah. that post you put up of the yeah. rock, rock from, was it Iran? I or? think he picked it up. I can't remember yeah. where it was from. I can't remember either. It just goes like... But just that screen cap in itself was like a, natural, a real yeah. statement. Yeah. Of kind of yeah. how things are forcibly removed and transplanted and... For sure, because actually this Fitzherbert, whoever who picked up the rock, like it's not from that, I mean, to kind of like designate it as originating from X, Y or Z place just doesn't make sense, right? So there's a disruption, there's a kind of innate disruption in the fact that there's a rock in the collection. And it's not just that collection, there's so many where there's a rock and they'll have like curated exhibitions where a rock will feature next to a flute and a rug and uh, like that's another interesting thing of how we build this kind of imagined east essentially mm-hmm. um, but that's kind of using more like early post-colonial way of understanding it um, now I guess there's different connotations of like yeah movement across space and borders but yeah it's a disruptive thing I think and I'm always drawn like back to the rock um, but definitely would locate it within that like poetic discipline of of like lamenting a rock, which also contains humour for me as well, right? It's kind of a funny thing. Yeah, I mean, it's sort okay. of, it's silly in of itself. Yeah. Rocks are incredibly common. <laughs> you know? But I, it, yeah, yeah, I guess you can assign meaning to them, like you can assign meaning to anything else. And, for sure, and, and I that's... think that's why they're an interesting thing. The same with fruits, like that, that use of signifiers that are almost like redundant or defunct. Um, is like a powerful thing in terms of like asserting that opacity as well of not having to explain right um and also being able to hold that the the two at the same time or like multiple registers of like what a rock is like it can mean something extremely profound and refer to borders and like and the cosmos and whatever but also just nothing at the same time it's a really great um what's the thing like just something that throws people i guess Mm. away or like towards certain things yeah, I don't know if that makes sense with the rock, the rock thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it... Yeah, you made me think of quite a lot of things about... Firstly, when you're talking about the, the idea of the, the rock being like from a place and going to a place, it's like that absurd idea of ownership of landscape mm-hmm. and like, you know, the rock belonging to Iran, like mm-hmm. a, 
if anything, originally, and then belonging mm-hmm. to this guy. Like, if anything, the Iran belongs to the Rock, right. and <laughs> yeah, and yeah. sort of that I that very kind of human thing of like sorting mm-hmm. and categorizing things mm-hmm. and the kind of the logical breakdown that mm-hmm. occurs when you sort of scrutinize it. Yeah, because I mean, it is. I wouldn't say it is a, I mean, it is a human trait, right, to categorise, but it's specifically a kind of colonial logic also, mm-hmm. um, even with respect to, like, relationships to the land and, and a kind of, an understanding that um, a kind of Eurocentric idea of, like, human tendency to categorise and define and conquer, therefore, is, like, is a very specific kind of tradition of categorizing, of labeling, of collecting, right? Of archiving things to almost like bolster uh, a narration of history in, in a very specific way. And I, f- I feel like I definitely don't hold those same, and, and like people also in Europe don't necessarily hold those same connotations around like land and nation, um, but it's, it's just so strong in rocks. Like when you see it in a museum, it's kind of a, a huge disruption to the entire um, kind of structure of what that is, like why it's there, you know. And I think with the rock in the museum also, it, like some objects, like a musical instrument or a garment that they've acquired or stolen or, or whatever we want to call it, um, kind of cuts out all of that rubbish in between. Like this person has just gone and picked up a rock. And I think it, like... Um, just puts everything else in, in an interesting light, right? And kind of demystifies that process of like what a colonial archive is and like what its purpose is. It just rains all over it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. But and I guess, the, that, I guess the mythology of the collector as well, which is yeah. kind of a big thing. And like, if you think of like the Sir John Stone Museum mm-hmm. or the Horniment and stuff, mm-hmm. they have like a whole bit about. Who was Sir John Stone and Pitt Rivers and all of these? Usually paint them in a somewhat unfairly favourable light. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. And what's the use of them also, right? In a world where you have access to, or I mean, usually ownership over imagery. um, I I don't know, I just question the, the role of that rock or those rocks that were sitting there, let alone the kind of like actual. Um, the cultural heritage that has been plundered that's a completely different thing but for me it's easier to access through and they're listed as natural object right which is yeah bizarre there's something kind of like specimen about it too and I think that's why there's connotations of like space travel and again it's the same kind of colonial logic also of you know going like going to Mars to collect a rock to be able to analyze it like immediately there's this kind of breach through through time where I'm thinking like that this Fitzherbert guy was doing essentially the same thing that you know we're doing on other planets but but like not testing it and not it's not for any real tangible like reason it's just to have to, to say this is from this land right but then I also have like rocks that friends have brought back from from Palestine from Lebanon from Egypt so there's definitely like a power in this object that's so old, um, but I just find it, yeah, I find it funny, really funny. There's a, there's a very like, um, <clears throat> kind of science fiction mm. element to, to what you're talking about? Or yeah, yeah. Maybe more speculative? I think so, I think it's a way to maybe articulate that, um, that positioning of like, the stranger, or like being alien. Right. Um, yeah, maybe balancing that line between like humor and like genuine kind of discourse on what it means to be con- continuously and like consistently um, rendered alien um, in multiple different contexts in multiple different ways, um, like on local levels, like in Glasgow, but more kind of global levels too, and you know like national levels, so, so many different levels, there's this kind of rendering of like oneself as alien um, for, for whichever purpose. So I think this kind of speculative or like sometimes really directly sci-fi, like using pans of, of like a Martian landscape 
is just a way to like I suppose subvert that orientalist imagery that that I struggled to like push against actually it's definitely part of um, like my my heritages but both of them and I think this kind of colonial imagery is uh, just an unshakable fact right it's what shaped people's perceptions of uh, geographies and people and culture and religions and and whatever for, for so long and continues to do so and I think sci-fi just breaks with that by maybe pushing it or accelerating it to to the absurd um, level but also yeah just being able to place colonial logic outside of this planet is is um, a much less like messy way of maybe talking about it um, with whiteness with white people and dealing with those questions without um, explicitly pinpointing you know who who might be responsible or whatever it's just it's an easier thing for people to grasp and in the same way that sci-fi has been responsible actually for a kind of perpetuation of that that colonial imagery um, it has the potential to do to do the opposite right and there's also a huge tradition of like sci-fi uh, if, if we could call it sci-fi like writing and thinking in like Arab folklore and, and all sorts of traditions, which I, I, mean, I don't I'm not an expert, but probably predate a lot of like sci-fi that have happened that that's happened like within Europe and within America. So again, there's a tradition of that, but it's an easier way to articulate. I think take it like kind of disconnecting from contexts as a way of reflecting. Um, but it's a struggle to not obscure as well too much, right? It's a constant thing of like there's a danger of me using that kind of language um, out of maybe laziness or it being easy, an easy way. But sometimes it's not always important to confront in a direct way. And, and it's more important to build a language that's outside of like politics, you know, mm. and, and maintain the political but not kind of enter that like realm of politics. I guess this is the tricky thing when you're talking about like disrupting mm. stuff. It's like how you always end up treading a line between you can disrupt in a really kind of confrontational way, mm. which maybe gives you a kind of resistance that's not not what you're looking for. You can disrupt in like a really passive way that almost starts to abstract it too much. And I, I guess a lot of your practice tries to trace a, a way between that to build something that's kind of a bit of a bit of both. Mm. And I, I mean, it's the same in the real world, really. Like, there's a time and a and a place, and like, it's a question of like responsibility. Also, I mean, I don't always have to address things like the work and the, and and this practice inevitably like revolve around certain questions, but it's still it's still a practice, right? And I'm still very much interested in um, the like the materiality of things and. You know, I'm I'm able, or I'm, I'm able to hold all those things, but it's like an awareness that I'm usually justifying or reminding people that um, it's okay for me to be interested in like rocks because they're rocks, but for it to also have, you know, just just as an example with rocks again, like for it to also have a much like wider kind of layered meaning that might be rooted in different traditions. And like that's kind of illustrative of what I'm saying about that perpetual state of of being a guest or a stranger is that um, constant reassurance or performing um, assimilation even if it's like having a practice um, so yeah I think that feeds into process in weird ways and maybe um, makes it more of a challenge um, yeah, it's kind of balancing a line, but it's less actually, I'd say maybe it's not balancing on a line, it's kind of negotiating between like two um, bodies, like objects or things, like an alleyway. Because mm. right? balancing implies that it's like a thing I have to do, it's more external kind of forces that I'm having to like negotiate and move between. And that changes constantly. But I think I always really enjoy it when I'm able to have that space. Um, to, yeah, just like think through the work without, you know, having to kind of tie things, tie things down. But sometimes things come through in the work that are tied down. And I think that's like the VNA work definitely was like rooted in very real 
um, questions and concerns and like it's framed in a much I feel like much more of an explicit way in terms of what it's talking about yeah so I'm going on a rant now <laughs> well maybe we could pick up because um, you've mentioned this idea of like strangeness or alienness and I know that your previous work like maybe a couple of years ago was much more heavily sculptural mm. in a material sense mm. and you've kind of made this move into um, computer generated mm. sculpture um, with which is where a lot of these rocks mm. kind of feature in the ruins and stuff like that and mm. and I, yeah I, I think that or I wonder if that is like a a material way in a sort of like antimatter sense of um, exploring that feeling of strangeness that you kind of keep coming mm. back to where like everything in computer generated imagery especially really like material things like mm. stones or ruins or are inherently strange because mm. they have like a perceived weight or presence but yeah. also don't really exist yeah yeah, for sure. And water as well, right? I always think think that of the way the way I'm so drawn to seeing um, water take place in that space. I think it's as simple, like, with that... I don't know, there's a number of things at play of, like, economy also and, like, not actually being able to sustain a practice that inhabits space. Like, in a, in a, in a kind of... In terms of like real world, like how do I afford to do this, but also um, in terms of labour and like emotionally being able and like well enough to inhabit those spaces is a lot more of a challenge. Um, there's so much at play in terms of like why sculpture has maybe like moved or like transmuted in, into the virtual, but and I'm not sure like what's at play, whether it's that, you know, it's hard sometimes within practice to kind of quantify what comes from what. Like, is it because mm-hmm. I don't have the studio that that's moved there? Or is that thinking happening in more of a, like, um, a fluid way that I'm not always aware of, which I prefer to think is the case? But, like, virtuality, I guess the work is always referencing other worlds or, like, other spaces. So it seems a natural progression that... Um, this like kind of virtual like digital space or whichever space this is that that is kind of um, again disruptive to those um, spatial logics is so important for the work to at least begin to inhabit and, and what it means to um, kind of generate imagery in a space that is completely removed or or maybe like contained through screen or whatever, like just what that means in terms of the questions in the studio around um, diasporic practice or like what and whatever that means um, and what it means to consistently disconnect things. Um, so it's kind of like not a destination, but something in the work that um, is making more sense in terms of building language around uh, the kind of diasporic nature of of making for certain people I guess and the questions within that um, and the vastness of it too there's this kind of cosmic I don't know infiniteness yeah I mean it's sort of inherently utopian in some ways because yeah. it's a blank mm. for all of us it's a sort of blank canvas you mm. open your 3D program and start with an empty scene and, right. and mm. what manifests it there mm. is what you ones and nothing else Mm. yeah and what kind of struck me also was carrying through um like artifacts actually scanned artifacts um from syria let's say where like groups of people and collectives have worked with funding to preserve or i mean like that word preserve is weird with, with digital artifact but like um transfer or like deposit right something into that space and I think that struck me because I realised, I, I mean, there's a lot of things at play, but there's, you know, there's a lot of thinking within the work of, like, I mean, outside of the actual stuff, like, how do we, and I'll, I'll keep it as we without defining it, but, like, how do we document, I mean, and I mean documentation as practice, of like, how do we record what's happening? And, like, how do we keep track of who is who and, like, what this means in terms of, 
practices that struggle to, to realize or manifest what they're doing. Um, and just again, like locating ourselves in a historical trajectory of, you know, like this is 2018 and we're looking at these things and these are the people who have looked at these things before because the access to that, to those kind of art histories is, is just non-existent actually. Um, so like, it sounds long-winded, but coming back to like artifacts in digital space, I realized that like that, it's worth adding that like some of those don't exist physically anymore. They, they've been destroyed. And like, what does that mean to use this object in this infinite kind of digital space? It's, I don't know, it's a weird one. It's like, it cements and like concretes this space that, that can't be, and it becomes this strange kind of um, kind of paradox between how I read this space and like what it means to be in it, and to put this object that no longer exists tangibly outside of the screen. Um, there's no answers. It's just all like kind of wow, you know. What uh, because then what does it mean to generate imagery and generate object and like use those in the same space? It's a really bizarre way of looking at the value of again those. Like, you know, whatever the museum renders these things as becomes just void. It's just completely void. Mm. And it's just a really interesting thing for me to, to think about, you know, in terms of archive also and depositing these things and the kind of responsibility on us. And the fact that I have on my computer, uh, I mean, it's a model of the thing, but it's the thing, right? No longer mm. exists. So it's. Well, it's now responsibility. the thing. Yeah, that's now the thing. Um, and it's no longer kept by by one institution or like a few um, and it can no longer be policed in that way too well they're certainly trying to police it though I wonder did you hear about that thing with it was some I think it was an American museum um, doing a project where they were um, scanning artifacts in the Middle East with the aim of preserving them mm. um, in digital space, but uh, taking ownership over the digital scans. Wow. Um, and then people were obviously pirating them. Mm. Um, but it was just such a weird, like... Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one. I guess it would have... It's inevitable. But, but it, it follows such a different logic, and I think that's the disruptive power of it. And at least if there's a window to redefine what it means, what, what these are, what it means to have them, what it means to have a kind of open source thinking around. Um, I mean, because the thing that we're talking about is like objecthood, I guess, and like artifact, but, but it really has to encompass like new questions around heritage and like who owns that and who gets to narrate those histories and I think that's what is in within that window of time like before those things are heavily policed or before there is this kind of general consensus that those are the artifacts now and like an institution needs to look after them for purposes of care or whatever but but that goes out the window because it's not like conservation of a thing which no longer exists you know um, but for me it's very much about who gets to narrate their history um, yeah and it's a heavy it's a heavy thing you know but yeah, I guess in that context there it holds like a real, um, I guess, speculative power or, or potential in the, in the case of this uh, um, museum trying to be like, no, no, these are, mm. these are our 3D scans, you know, people obviously like instantly pirated them mm. and, or people just went and 3D scanned them themselves mm. or there's been cases of people 3D scanning artifacts in museums mm. like on the sly with an yeah, Xbox yeah. Connect like yeah. strapped to their chest and all this yeah. really good stuff and and I think that I've kind of forgotten where I was going with this <laughs> but I, th I think that sort of the fact that that the means to resist that institutional power is mm. so kind of available sort of highlights the absurdity of claiming exclusive ownership over these things in a digital space anyway because they'll find their way out and sure. and be edited and because mm -hmm. you know these are just meshes you can mm -hmm. you can change things you can add things you can keep them the way they are you can improve them exactly but also i think 
I mean, that could... Because I'm definitely not like advocating just a free-for-all kind of... Again, it's who gets to do that. And yeah. I think we all need to be aware of like who owns those... Like, it's possible for a people to own those things and for that to happen in the context of injustice. Um, because I'd hate to see just a free-for-all kind of smash and grab, basically. Um, because justice still isn't part of the language of, of the museum, um, right? And it was funny in the V&A because I became like aware and, and remembered that this is the V&A that um, refused to return um, Ethiopian, um, you know, cultural heritage, essentially part of, of Ethiopian narrative. Um, and offered to loan them. So so there's this like uh, kind of cloud. Well, I mean, it's not a cloud, it's, it's, it's precisely the fabric of the museum. So it'd be a shame to have a kind of smash and grab um, because it's, it's possible to say that this does belong to um, a people who have the right to re-narrate a history that quite frankly has just been shoved you know, down people's throats for whatever purpose. But yeah, I think, is still a question, right? And it's like a more and more important one. I think Syria is an interesting example because of the the kind of hype around the disrupt the, the destruction of ruins, especially in a kind of European sense of like, what is it exactly that we hold dear to these to these ruins? And again, it goes back to this Orientalist kind of legacy of um, yeah, the stage building, the set building of of the East, the kind of biblical East and the, the cradle of civilization. And, and that's great, that, that's fine, but um, what are the intentions of like recording? Who's recording these things? Like, why do we care about the destruction, the destruction of um, already destroyed ruins and not a, a consistent drowning of people or massacring of communities or people? You know, it's, it's like those questions remain open like, like wounds, actually. So using artifacts is, yeah, as simple as using them, but they come with all of this, all of this stuff really which goes exactly back to that poetic discipline of standing at the ruins like what it means to stand and look or to sit and look at a stone on screen or in space and kind of think about its power in that way um it's like at the same time enough and like a lot but also like not enough and nothing and that needs to be a lot more I'm like master of ranting. <laughs> no, no, this, yeah. this is good. You just gave me so much, so many different. But yeah, I suppose, I suppose in talking about this kind of, this potential new space, mm. there is, yeah, I, I think you have a really good point of like, it would be a shame if it just became like this kind of cowboy sort of scene mm. of just like take all you can. But I suppose it, it's always going to, hold that problem isn't it of like it it can potentially be something really good and, mm. or it can potentially sort of just kind of fall back into what it was before and i think you certainly see both mm. going on for sure and i mean looting of museums is nothing new as well right i mean that that's <laughs> like, that's always been a thing or, or at least in the region too it's like that's you know that's something that that's going to happen and i think it, it could just be described as the same same thing but then that's not always a bad like you know it's always in, in context where should we go next I had I had like because one of the things that you sort of I mean I guess we're kind of skirting around it mm. no pun intended was this idea of the the border zone mm -hmm. which you kind of keep mentioning in a very like abstract sense mm. that kind of rather than I get the sense that you're not referring to it as a literal border to really anywhere. It's sort of a border zone in the sense that it's not one thing and it's not the other. Sure, yeah. And, and I guess I, I thought about that a lot in terms of the rocks and the artifacts and their dislocations mm. across where they kind of experience, rather than sort of being travelled in a mm. kind of linear way, they're sort of violently removed and the, and the path of their travel is kind of gone. Yeah. And and this creates this kind of void that sometimes I think your work exists in an imaginative sense. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think um, quite a while ago, probably like a lot of people who like begin with post-colonial theory, 
in all of its like horror and beauty and everything um, started to kind of articulate this idea of like the third way or like what it means to be like neither here nor there essentially to put it really simply um, in, a, in a human sense but then the kind of like ramifications of that um, in, in everything I guess and like being an artist I think has very like specific ramifications for how how practice is built and it's exactly what I'm getting at when I speak about diasporic practice and like extending this idea of like diaspora away from um, a very specific or like readings of like refugee or like asylum um, which it absolutely is but expanding that idea of diaspora unfortunately to like first second generation immigrants for example um, because that's very much how I would identify um, don't um, don't find myself able nor nor wanting to for multiple reasons um, tie myself down to kind of um, to a fixed space or place or nation or whatever um, it just doesn't mean that I don't do so but it means that I'm able to do so when I need to and that's something I'll defend and uh, for my entire life um, that's like I guess is a, is a kind of incidental like privilege in a sense of having to having to mould in those ways but never belonging right in either place which actually is just a basic kind of realisation or like awareness of a state of being of like identity who I am in this context but with like those I guess the, the kind of allegories within the work right of, of that space um, maybe began as a way of like trying to understand it for like for me for myself um, very very early on but realising that the work has always come from like this space, right, which is a kind of space of like simultaneity, um, which is why I think talking about the diasporic as quantum isn't interesting, not interesting, like it's a really useful and like healthy way of thinking about it because it's not, neither here nor there kind of implies a kind of stuck in between, right, which is why I find so difficult with um, like with post-colonial theory actually and where it was at that time um, again very tied to nation like I'm, I'm neither or, or ethnicity I'm neither Arab nor European or, or whatever so there's this third way but and then because that kind of leads to ideas of hybridity and hybridity I find really difficult um, in terms of struggle and survival in 2018 at least sort of hybridity is just kind of for me nonsense um, or was it mean to be hybrid? It's not. Um, so I think there's this quantum state, right, of actually being able to inhabit or like exist between and like beyond something. And that might come across kind of a bit. That this is why it always exists in an abstract way, because it's definitely a position I found myself in, and making work from that position is just a default kind of thing. Um, but it, it really, I suppose, adds a lot to, yeah, allegories of space and how things move through space and, and how things belong to certain spaces. And space, 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 you know, as well, because that's kind of a perfect, another perfect one of what that is and, like, what space exists within. Yeah, I mean, it's a really, like, interesting um, sort of mental tool mm -hmm. to kind of draw that comparison mm. between the quantum and the diaspora mm. where yeah like you're saying this this sort of older idea of the diaspora as being not one thing and not the other mm. when you reframe that through this idea of the quantum like within as i understand it which mm. is not very well um within that it's not not one thing or other mm. it's both it's both absolutely. and and it it is characterized by that duality or mm. that multiplicity and it cannot exist without that. Mm. Mm. Like it doesn't, there's no way of characterizing that, mm. that erases mm. its multiplicity. For it sure. just is. For sure. And that's the only explanation. <laughs> yeah. And I think when that's translated somehow into, um, like my brain at least, um, even just the very kind of like the relationship, the very real relationship I have with like live streams or looking at um, news or talking to cousins or friends, um, 
what that means to kind of inhabit simultaneously these two spaces and to kind of be talking to a friend, having coffee and actually under the table watching a kind of live stream of, of some shit that's hit the fan, to put it bluntly. Um, just what that means, actually, for, for practice, for, um, for politics, for philosophy, for like who we are as people, actually, in a kind of hyper-connected way. Um, but there's this idea of like hyper-connectivity that's this convenient and like, um, like wealthy thing, right? But actually hyper-connectivity for so many is like a really, it, it's, yeah, it's not an option. Like there's a hyper-connectivity without my smartphone is my point. Um, but in my mind, I'm, I'm still inhabiting multiple spaces at the same time. Um, so yeah, they're just really interesting questions around like what, how does that impact on, on, on us? What does that mean, right? So, so the diasporic mind then becomes something that um, inhabits different kind of, again, temporal logics and spatial logics to, to others perhaps. And I think within that there are really interesting questions. But talking about widening out like this definition of, of the diasporic and like using it outside of like diaspora, which is very much like this community of people, you know, the African diaspora, the Jewish diaspora, the Arab diaspora, but just like beyond that and outside of that, um, you know, bringing in conversations around gender and sexuality and people who are diasporic by, like, just implicitly, um, by the way that they're, they're forced out or pushed out or, or, you know, literally pushed to the periphery of something. Um, and maybe breach that membrane and, and exist in this kind of quantum sense of having to, yeah, essentially live multiple lives, um, but not in an on-off way, not in that binary sense of like, now I'm this, now I'm that, like a double life. It's just completely, yeah. And I, and I just wonder, I just think that perhaps we're more and more in this way, um, yeah, with the whole like citizens of, if you're a citizen of, of no, of, you know, the citizen of nowhere, citizen of everywhere thing also was like a point where I'm like, yeah, this is increasingly a part of our species actually. And part of me kind of is concerned the more that widens out, I think it's a state that we're all like more and more inhabiting the diasporic, right? Whatever that means. Um, but I'm still yet to see the solidarity building and whatever that mm. could happen between, but hopefully will. But it's more of a projected question of like, what, what does this mean for our species, I suppose, outside of politics and the political, um, to kind of have that in the equation of evolution of like being able to exist in multiple spaces and times, um, whether it's, yeah, our demise or like growth, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you put it that way, it was always inevitable in, in some ways that just yeah because of our capacities to sort of make a make a home mm. everywhere you you know yeah you don't have the same sense of places like a rock mm. that or a plant that only grows in a specific climate or something mm. like that and it it's all it more and more it is tending towards that kind of non-place i suppose mm. which is yeah i think the whole perhaps holds a lot of promise. Yeah. Perhaps doesn't. Because I think like collateral is another interesting thing which is really strong in my head at the moment. And it's weird because I feel like I'm just repeating, repeating, but it's fine. But like the the importance of like collateral within that, like the industrial revolution, we're very much aware of all of the collateral, right? And and the kind of the second like revolution of, of like this connectivity of the internet. And whatever else to come is always collateral and I think it's the collateral, it's from that kind of like state of being collateral and the people who are incidentally like, who become collateral to that kind of ricochet of, of revolution, which is essentially just like more of a grip on space and time actually. Um, that's where these things come from. So there's definitely this kind of awareness of mind that like, yeah, widening this definition of diasporic to encompass maybe maybe a kind of like emerging like philosophical state let's say in a really speculative way um it's fine but like but there's real um it's at the expense of people of people's wellness and lives um you know and i think that's hard to kind of put put to the side because i'm just aware of how utopian it can be of like oh we're all evolving 
becoming these kind of like quantum quantum beings it's just no when like we're not a lot of blood is shed for that um and these questions come out of pain and, and trauma you know um a similar thing to like going smashing down in museums like who who is doing that why where's it come from they're all really important questions but yeah sorry i'm going off on one but you're talking about the space no i think i think that is really, really, um, that's a really good point and thing, yeah right? in a lot of these situations of like really uh, turbulent change mm. someone always ends up eating shit for it mm. and it's never fair mm. and and I guess I wonder if what you're sort of proposing now and maybe within your work is just trying to understand mm. those collateral implications and the speculative part is trying to imagine how you might not produce that yeah. that situation again how you might basically just learn 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 from history yeah essentially and but i mean like first and foremost think that it's a kind of like friend a friend described it as canon building and it might sound like quite pompous but i think in our context that was absolutely fine um because it is canon building and again being able to trace um the kind of like the webs between things and understand who we are in that historical trajectory is like the the primary reason why like I make um, because I'm not I mean like understanding within practice and like asking questions to answer them like is great but I feel like they like these works and like whatever diasporic practice is has to exist in a way where it's addressing questions that are like alive and like nascent basically um, young young questions like can't be answered especially in the vacuum of practice and studio so they're not like I don't claim to understand them but if like they contribute to discourse and allow people to think with each other um, then yeah I mean that's great you know and I definitely like speculate within those questions of like what, what does this mean and whatever but try yeah try to kind of keep that open but essentially, yeah, in terms of object image space, like there's this core kind of questioning, constant like testing actually in a kind of, in the way that a laboratory would work. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And I think that produces the work, right? But, but actually like around the work, there's, yeah, a practice that's basically a kind of thinking practice, I suppose. Like the work could not exist and these questions still be a thing. I think it's just quite interesting when you're talking about these questions that don't really have answers and kind of the purpose of them is not to really be fulfilled by an answer. Mm. Even that exercise has its own like quantum kind of state where... Sure, it's disruptive, right? It's yeah. disruptive to a, to a system that requires me to make sense, um, which I'm always aware of. Um, and that can be challenging but so important because because that's weaponized a lot of the time in order to stifle that um that canon building that theory building with others um because it's scary it's scary to think that um actually there there are multiple um art histories there are multiple histories that renders some fiction you know truth within that becomes something else and I think, yeah, this, this expectation to constantly make sense, um, you know, and to not be opaque and, and whatever is, is definitely not something that I'm like doing intentionally, it's just a right that everyone has. Um, I think it's almost unavoidable. It, it is. It really? is, but then there is this force of like make sense, you know, um, and it is that perpetual state of, of being stranger mm. or alien or whatever. Yeah, I guess what those questions sort of draw attention to is the silliness of or mm. stupid just uh i don't know hubris of like trying or expecting something to just make sense right. in a in a really like sort of flat or linear yeah. way yeah and yeah and a quick way as well you know, yeah these things take time like they take a lot of time yeah it's, it's just a vacuum like it just doesn't happen in a vacuum it can mm. never happen in a vacuum um yeah <laughs> Complicated questions and complicated answers. Yeah, basically. <laughs> or like impossible, also, yeah. I suppose.
Can you put down the camera? We see peacocks at the foot of this hill, but why are we here at this feast of strangers? This Arab nude that licks at the paintbrush of their master. Can you put down the camera? How many rights has this head testified to finally arrive back at this garden? This garden, this performed home that incessantly grows. And when do we talk? And when are we silent? And when do we occupy those quiet moments between words that let us flourish? depression, this weaponized violence that sharp whiteness smothers its discarded with, as burial shroud, funeral mask, tomb for the radical. This cactus and resilience and patience. This cactus and resilience and patience.